January the 15th, 2009, was a day people will never forget in New York. At 15.26, flight 1549, an Airbus A320, took off heading for North Carolina. The captain, Chesley Sullenberger III, known as Sully, had done all the pre-flight checks and found everything to be okay. It should have been a regular flight. However, just two minutes after takeoff, the plane hit a flock of Canadian geese, badly damaging both engines. The plane was left in a perilous position just as it headed over the Bronx, one of the most densely populated parts of the city. In an instant, Sully had to make a decision. Where was he going to land? He couldn't return to the airport. He couldn't land on a road full of cars. And the thought of crashing into buildings was horrendous. Hundreds would be killed. And in that split second, he realized that he had just one option. He must try to land on the Hudson River. Apparently, crash landing into water is a very difficult thing to do. One mistake and the plane will flip and break up and sink. And Sully was left with approximately three minutes to get it perfect. Now, I am no aviator, but just listen to what he had to do in that time. He had to shut down the engines. He had to get the right speed so the plane could glide for as long as possible without power. He had to disconnect the autopilot and override the flight management system. He had to seal all the valves and vents to make the plane waterproof. He had to glide the plane in a steep left-hand bend so it landed following the flow of the river. He then had to keep the plane exactly level so it landed flat on the water. Amazingly, he and the co-pilot did it. But that was still not the end. Sully walked up and down the aisle several times to ensure all the passengers safely got off. And then once in a life raft himself, he took off his shirt and he gave it to someone who was cold. Now some would say that was a miracle. And in a way, it was. But importantly, it was also the product of something else. Practice. Like all pilots, Sully had practiced in a simulator so many times this calm, considered behavior, doing just the right thing at just the right time, was like second nature to him. In all of his flying, he had honed his skills. You see, good habits and strong character have been developed from hours of work and attention. He wasn't born with this ability. He developed it. And God used it that day to save hundreds of people's lives. Now, when we read this story in Acts, we can be tempted to think of Paul and Silas in the same way that we think of Captain Sully. That their behaviour was somehow utterly miraculous and therefore beyond us, lesser mortals. In the heat of great opposition, 
when their world was literally shaking around them, they instinctively behaved in ways that resulted in the saving of that Philippian jailer's life, and eventually the whole of his family coming to faith. But the truth is that everything that Paul and Silas did in that awful prison cell was very human. There's no superhero strength in this story. There's no miraculous healing. There's no magic. Yes, God had his part to play in sending an earthquake. But Paul and Silas's behavior came from good habits and strong character that they had already developed. Good habits that God then used to work a miracle of salvation. And in this sermon this morning, what I want us to do is to think about the good habits that Paul and Silas had and how we can develop them today. But before we do that, there's one more thing that needs to be said. Over the last few weeks in Acts, we have seen the opposition that believers can face when they seek to share the gospel. This is just reality. As Christians, we don't suddenly become immune to suffering. Sometimes we suffer precisely because of our faith. Bad things do happen to good people. And in this reading, we see the work of evil in several forms. There is the evil spirit that torments the life of that poor slave girl. There is that love of money that sets the owner of the girl against Paul and Silas, even though they've just released her from torment. And then there is the evil of the oppressive systems and structures in society, where even though these men were innocent, they were sent to a prison cell and beaten. In this world, we will encounter evil. This story is an example of all that is wrong in the world, all that opposes us as human beings and makes us suffer. Yet the promise of the Bible is that we will never have to face these struggles alone. God will never abandon us. He has the goodness to give us all that we need to see us through and the power to turn these moments of great challenge into opportunities for witness. So we as Christians, we need to expect trouble in this life and therefore be developing the good habits that we will need when it comes. And in this reading, there are four things that Paul and Silas do instinctively in a time of trial. And like Captain Sully, we would do well to practice these things today. The first habit that we see is that when Paul and Silas are suffering, they continue to praise God. After being seized for releasing the slave girl of her evil spirit, Paul and Silas were stripped and beaten and thrown into prison and fastened in the stocks. This meant a very uncomfortable night lay ahead as they constantly twisted their bruised and battered bodies, trying to avoid cramp and other discomfort. It would have been fully understandable if they'd been consumed with misery and despondency 
and complaint. But that wasn't the case at all, was it? Let's hear verse 25 again. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Notice that Paul and Silas were praying and singing before there was any sign of rescue. That is very important. It shows us that they've learned the behaviour of turning to God in their time of need and not turning away. Difficult as we may find it, singing songs in the night time of suffering is actually a common response of believers right down through the ages. Think of those spirituals that the slaves sang on the plantations. Think of the hymns that we sing at gravesides. Think of those Chinese Christians in those underground churches who are known for their singing in their prison cells. But all of this, of course, began with the Psalms. So many of the Psalms were written from the depths of despair. And this is where Paul and Silas would have learned the habit from. Even Jesus turned to the Psalms when he was hanging from the cross. So why is it that it's so important for us to continue praising God even in difficult times? Well, songs help us to focus on eternal realities. They help us to focus on the goodness and the love of God, even though those things might be clouded by the gloominess of our temporary present. Songs give us the words to sing and to pray when our own have been taken away by our pain. Songs help the truth that we know about God to travel down from our head to our heart when our emotions are wavering. They bring God's word to bear on our subjective feelings and keep us going. Continuing to praise God in times of difficulty is so helpful. It lifts our eyes up from our troubles and on to God, the God who is our only source of hope and strength. And in this situation, the prayers and the songs, they don't just keep Paul and Silas going when they could easily have faltered. They also inspire all the other prisoners who were listening to them. And we will see just how much in a moment. So how do we develop this habit? How do we practice this? In our struggles today. But we do it. By getting into the discipline. Of praying daily. Praying daily in our homes. We do it by getting into the discipline. Of regularly gathering to worship. And to sing praise. Sunday by Sunday. We get into the habit. Of turning our attention. To God. And of course our worship doesn't just encourage us. And it just doesn't encourage others in this room. But it's also a witness. A sign of hope and faith to the wider community. The second habit that we see Paul and Silas have developed is to portray the gospel wherever possible in their actions. They have learned to live a life 
that looks like Jesus. If praising God is about enabling his truth to take root in our hearts, the ultimate outcome of that is that we realise that we are safe in God's hands. And therefore, we no longer have to focus solely on ourselves. We can start to portray God's generosity to others, even when we are up against it. In the middle of the night, a violent earthquake shakes the prison, releasing Paul and Silas' shackles and breaking the door of the cell open. You can say it's a coincidence, or you can accept, like many Christians have, that coincidences seem to happen when God's people seek him in prayer. But what happens next is not what we would have expected. Rather than charging out of the prison to seek their own safety, Paul and Silas have the presence of mind to remain where they are. And this is why I use that opening illustration about Sully the pilot. Paul and Silas react to a very disturbing, emotional, sense-scrambling situation with such composure, don't they? They instinctively know how to behave in an event that they could never have expected. Now, why is it so significant that they stayed behind? Well, it's because if they'd fled, the jailer would have been killed. We know this from Acts chapter 12, that Roman prison guards were executed in the place of escaped prisoners. And not only would the jailer have died, but it would have brought great shame upon his family. And that's why we find him sword drawn on the verge of suicide when he thinks the prisoners are gone. But incredibly, Paul and Silas have decided to stay. And not only them, but all the other prisoners too. Presumably, they've been so impacted by Paul and Silas's praise that they have wanted to hear more. So what we have in this moment is Paul and Silas giving up their own chance of freedom for the life of the jailer. And what could be a more vivid act of portrayal for what Christ did on the cross than that? It is an action of such power that even before Paul and Silas say a word the jailer is on his knees before them, imploring them to tell him how he can be saved by their God. Actions speak louder than words. And Christians, we would do well to remember that. But to instinctively behave like this in a time of crisis requires us to practice before the crisis comes. It requires us to do this type of thing so often, it becomes second nature to us. On Isla today, we have many opportunities to portray the gospel in the way we treat other people around us. The way we show concern for them, put them before ourselves. We might do that by phoning an older person to give them some company. We might do that by offering to babysit for some exhausted young parents. We might do that for collecting the shopping of someone who's unwell. 
There are a myriad of different ways that we can show our concern for others and put them before us. And every time we do that, we're showing them something of the God who laid down his life for us. We can develop this habit of portraying the gospel in our everyday lives. Now, we've just said that actions speak louder than words, but often actions need to be accompanied by words. And that's what we have next. We see Paul and Silas proclaiming who Jesus is. As soon as the opportunity presents itself, Paul and Silas know what to say. They've shared the gospel so many times, it's become another habit to them. The jailer on his knees wanted to know what he must do to be saved. And Paul and Silas tell him he need do nothing. For the Lord Jesus has already done it all through the cross and the resurrection. All the jailer must do is believe in him. And on hearing this, the jailer comes to faith and not only him, but his whole family come to believe in the Lord and are baptised. And so what began as this awful injustice ends with a great scene of joy. The sovereign Lord that we were thinking about last week has turned another bad situation for good. Now we all find it difficult to share our faith at times, but we are only going to ever improve in doing it by practicing. If we start to put Jesus into our conversations it will slowly become second nature to us. And one day, someone might ask us for the reason for our faith or how to become a Christian. And if we've developed the habit of talking about Jesus, it will be instinctive to us when that moment comes. In times of difficulty, offering opportunities often do come to share the gospel. So as we go about our daily lives, let's keep looking for those opportunities to talk about Jesus to our family and our friends and our colleagues. The final instinct that we see Paul and Silas have developed is to protect other believers. Our passage ends in a slightly strange way. The message comes from the magistrates that Paul and Silas uh, can be released But rather than leaving quietly, they protest their innocence. They make it clear that they want to be vindicated publicly before the whole city. Now, why do they do this? Well, actually, the text doesn't say. But we get the idea that if they hadn't, a dangerous precedent would have been set for the future treatment of the church. Their brothers and sisters in Philippi could have been left exposed to further attacks like this from those in power. Whereas by Paul and Silas getting a public apology, it increases the standing of the church and protects those believers from going through the same thing. And we see again Paul and Silas's great desire to look after and nurture the other Christians in the city because as soon as they are released, they go back to Lydia's house and encourage them rather than scarpering from the city. And again, this is an instinct that has to be developed through good habits. 
our initial reaction to being freed from jail in that situation would probably to have been run out of there as fast as we could. But Paul and Silas used this moment to protect their fellow believers. We need to develop this habit of protecting one another. That may be through speaking well of one another. It might be by giving advice or practical assistance to one another. It may be through just developing a heart of love and concern for our brothers and sisters here, looking out for them, being concerned about them, being interested in them, showing them care. We can develop this habit of instinctively wanting well for the church. So we come to the end of this exciting passage, but I hope we can see the message that I feel like we should look at. As Christians, we will come across difficult moments. We will experience opposition because evil, though defeated, is still in the world. But how we respond in those moments will depend on the habits that we've developed before they arrive. The actions of Captain Sully saved hundreds of lives. The actions of Paul and Silas saved the lives of the Philippian jailer and his family. Who knows what God could do through us in a difficult moment? So let's try to practice these habits until they become second nature to us. Let us praise God in difficult times. Let's try and portray the gospel in our actions. Let's be ready to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And let's protect our brothers and sisters wherever we can. As Christians on Isla, we'll have many opportunities to practice these things. May God use us to help others here.